Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling podcast. I'm Pam Larickia, longtime unschooling mom and author. Join me and my wonderful guests for interviews, information, and inspiration about unschooling and living joyfully with your family. You can find the episode show notes, your free introductory ebook, What is Unschooling?, and lots more information at livingjoyfully.ca. And here's the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Pam Larickia, and this is episode number 126 of the podcast. It's the 30th of May, 2018, as I record this intro. And it's Q&A time again. Ann Omen wasn't able to join us again this month. And in fact, all three of our lives have been shifting in really big ways these last few months. We all really enjoy answering your questions, but it's been rare lately that all three of us have been able to find a time to meet up to do the call. So we've decided to put the Q&A roundtable episodes on hiatus, at least for now. Of course, that doesn't mean forever. I never say never. I have ideas bouncing around for new kinds of Q&As, and Anna and I have been feeling out a, a new series for the podcast. If there's one thing I've learned through unschooling, it's that spectacular things can grow out of change, so I'm excited to keep moving forward. But what that means today is that Anna and I treat you to an extra long Q&A episode as we finish up the remaining questions. We dig into questions around the challenge of de-schooling while holding tight to your fears, engaging with the unschooling community before having kids of your own, the decision to unschool, the transformational impact of shifting our mindset from balance to flow, the ideas of talent and practice, homeschooling regulations, de-schooling around weight and physical activity, and the back and forth of being in the moment versus planning ahead with three little ones. And that said, the three of us are still working together on other things. If you'd like more of the three of us together diving deep into unschooling, you can join us for the Childhood Redefine Unschooling Summit. If you're listening to this episode on release day, which is May 31st, the registration is open until midnight tonight. And here's what Tara has to say about her summit experience. Nothing has impacted our unschooling lives, our family relationships, and my connection with myself more than the summit. Every bit of content was so thoughtfully and warmly prepared, and I feel so nurtured knowing that I can go back to it at any time. Anne, Anna, and I would love to help you walk through the deep personal work needed to shift away from the conventional wisdom around learning and parenting. To support you as you peel away the layers of gunk that can so often get in the way of creating a thriving unschooling environment in our homes. To register, you'll find the link in the show notes or just go to childhoodredefined.com. And I want to thank everyone who has chosen to support my work on Patreon. And a big warm welcome to new patrons Amanda Welsh, Matija Maza, and Catherine Zvercik. I hope I got your names close to right. (laughs) I deeply appreciate all my patrons and their generous support. It's vital to helping me share unschooling information and inspiration with everyone who wants to explore the fascinating world of unschooling. If you'd like to support my unschooling work like this podcast and my website, check out the Exploring Unschooling page at patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash exploring unschooling. 
And don't forget, if you have an unschooling aha moment you'd like to share, just go to the main podcast page on my website, livingjoyfully.ca forward slash podcast, and scroll down a bit until you see the microphone. Just plug in your mic and click the start recording button. I would love to hear your stories. And now, on to your questions. Welcome to another Q&A episode. I'm Pam Larickia from livingjoyfully.ca, and I'm happy to be joined by Anna Brown. Hi, Anna. Hello. <laughs> Hello. I am going to get us started this month. <clears throat> this question is from another Anna in the UK. <laughs> She writes, hello, my name is Anna and I have two children, a boy age seven and a girl age six. We live in the UK. I'm a primary teacher and my husband is a teacher as were both my parents. I have read a lot about unschooling and really enjoy your podcasts. And my husband and I really see the positive points of unschooling and feel drawn to trying it out, but it feels extremely challenging. We started our homeschooling journey a year ago. My son did not do well academically at school, although he enjoyed some of it, and this is the reason we took them both out. He gets extremely focused on one thing. We think he may be ASD and does not tend to be interested in anything else for months and even years. Can an ASD child self-regulate? He spends most of his time sitting reading history books, is an introvert, and also wants to watch a lot of TV, which I am uncomfortable with. He often does not want to go outside at all. My daughter, however, is an extrovert, as am I, and loves activities and going out. They have always had a difficult relationship, only 13 months age difference, and this is getting worse. Son sits and reads and hardly plays with her anymore, and I think she misses playing with him. She was upset, upset a couple of nights ago, saying she misses school, more precisely, playing with groups of friends and doing proper learning, in her words, and she misses doing learning like school. She has asked if we can do handwriting and maths worksheets together. I tried this yesterday, but when presented with the worksheets, she, she doesn't want to do them. We live in a small house with a tiny garden and haven't found many other homeschooling families we are all keen on. I myself am feeling quite lonely and confused, and I'm struggling to find joy in this journey. I can't help thinking it would be easier with a dog, a big garden, etc., but money is very tight on one income. I am trying so hard, but sometimes find myself getting so angry. For example, I tried letting them watch as much TV as they wanted the other day, and they watch it all day. I wandered around feeling at loose ends and did what you recommend, sitting with them, etc., but it was just so boring. And when TV had to go off for dinner, my son had a tantrum. We were all definitely left not feeling joy. <clears throat> They ask for TV when they wake up. I tried that early in the year, but it led to my son getting up super early and I'm grumpy and tired for the rest of the day. So now the first thing I say every morning is no, I am not doing very well at this, am I? Please help. I have some so much personal de-schooling to do, but it is so hard. I feel I can barely do it, and with two children who are so different, and the associated guilt and feeling sorry for my daughter is very hard. Despite all this, I am very sure it is ultimately the right path. Thanks so much. Okay. Hi, Anna. Anna. Thank you so much for sending in your question. I do completely understand what you're saying, and I can feel your anxiety about it all, and also your love for your children. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you said you have so much personal de-schooling to do, because that is the biggest 
and really the most important piece when you choose unschooling for your family. So as you work through your own de-schooling, so many of the challenges that you describe will melt away because de-schooling will help you see another way to approach all of those different situations you're talking about. So that's why so often I talk about taking that first year off, like thinking of it like an extended family vacation so that you can de-school and you and your children can really get to know one another. In the show notes, I'm going to link, to, link you to uh, a month of blog posts on my website that I did that were dedicated to de-schooling. I urge you to go read them and read them from the bottom up because the way they get displayed is in reverse chronological order. So start at the bottom <laughs> and read them lots of times over the next few weeks. Sometimes when you're feeling really good, sometimes when you're feeling really down after something's gone well, when you wake up in the morning before the day starts, like at various times because things, different things will make different connections for you. And maybe something that happened yesterday will click for you when you're reading through it. And you'll say, oh, that's like an example of that. You know, um, I think that that will be really helpful. A lot of the unschooling information out there, it's not about just reading it once, making the connections that you make in that moment, and then moving forward because there's just so much. It's a different way of living, of relating to and engaging with our children and connecting with our children and our families, that it, it's not like a switch that, oh, I learned this now, now I have the answer for the test and our next day, our next encounter will go fine. It, it just doesn't work that way. Um, if you don't take this time to de-school, unschooling really isn't going to work well because this whole de-schooling period is really about learning how unschooling works. Because as you're de-schooling out of all the conventional ways of learning and the conventional ways of being in relationship with your children, your de-schooling is about learning a different way to approach it all. So that's really the whole foundation of setting up um, unschooling in your family. Um, it's totally okay that you don't understand a lot of it right now. That's what this time is for. So the only other thing I wanted to do was just share a few little observations about um, the situations that you described. And, and these observations are going to make a little bit more sense to you as you continue de-schooling. So about your son, um, I'm wondering if you've listened to episode number 120 with Aaron Human. Definitely go listen to that one. We talk about the value of unschooling in giving children, wherever they are on the spectrum, the time and space to dive deep into their passions. And it really is a wonderful, wonderful aspect of unschooling. And if your son's not interested in playing with his sister, you can play with your daughter. Have fun with her. Play your favorite games. Watch her intense learning in action just as she goes about her day, doing her things, doing her things with you. It will help you see what learning looks like outside of the classroom. And it will also help your daughter's de-schooling as well, since she already equates learning to the classroom. You can tell because she was asked, thinking she's not learning because she wants to learn like school, like real learning. So this is going to help her as well. You guys are going to discover together so much of the valuable learning that happens outside of the classroom. And as you de-school, you're going to find immense joy in your relationships with your children and in the much deeper self-awareness that you'll develop. Because sure, 
a garden might be fun, a dog might be fun, but those things aren't necessary for finding joy. And as for TV, don't focus on the TV shows. That's maybe what's boring for you. Focus on your children. What is it that they're loving about the shows that they watch? What kind of conversations are sparked? Because you're there with them to have these conversations. You're there with them to hear the comments they make. You're there with them to notice what they laugh at, what they find funny. Um, you're going to be able to start seeing connections now between what they're watching and what they're playing or what they're saying, like outside of TV. Maybe, you know, when you're eating, when you're out and about in the world and they make some comment that this looks like that, you're going to understand these. So that means you're going to start to understand your kids better and you're going to be able to start bringing other things into their lives too that are going to connect with the root of their interests, right? Because the TV is just that tool to access their interest. It's not the interests themselves. It's not they're just interested in TV. And when I take that away, they're mad. No, they're using it as a tool to gain access to something that's bringing them joy, something that they're enjoying. So once you start to discover what that is, now you've really got something. <laughs> so best wishes to you on your de-schooling journey, Anna, and I'm going to turn it over to the other Anna. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, really just the same that Pam's saying, and I'll just kind of stuck out of the conversation for me. Um, one of the things she said was that I, you know, let them watch TV the other day. And, you know, one day of TV doesn't really give you time for learning self-regulation. So, you know, I think you're still kind of operating in this environment of scarcity. So, you know, it'll take time for them to trust that they have the freedom to choose how to spend their time. Because so what happens in an environment where things are limited, when that thing is presented, you know, whew, we want to like glute onto it and we're a little bit hoardy about it and want to do it because we're thinking you're going to take it away again. And then when you took it away again, it just can prove that reaction. So, you know, as hard as it is to kind of get through that first piece while they're learning and like to try, hmm, is she really going to take this away? If I watch the whole entire day, is she going to take it away? If I watch for two weeks straight, is she going to take it away? You know, because they're testing and trying to understand. And I think as you have open conversations about that, it can help too. Like, you know, this was hard for me. I get it. You know, let's try this together and whatever, but, but try to resist that scooping back in and taking it away because that just kind of resets the clock when you're talking about that stuff. Um, I actually personally love that your son has such a strong singular focus. You know, I think that is such a gift to be able to dig deep into his areas of interest and, and digging deep is truly how great discoveries are made and it's how people change the world. You know, this idea of a balance of interest isn't really how most people learn and it ends up creating people who know a little bit about a bunch of things and it's not that in-depth knowledge that one needs for a true passion area and to move forward with that. So those two ideas, and I think you said you were a teaching background and, you know, family with a teaching background, that's a very common idea. We're going to get this level of knowledge across this broad range of subjects. But when you look at how adults learn, we actually pretty much dig deep into our passions. We're not just going, oops, time to clock is done. Now we're not going to do gardening anymore. We're going to do this. Then we're going to do that. You know, we have these passions and we dig deep and, you know, that's, and it's also partly personalities, but I know for myself and my husband and my kids, 
you know, we really explore, 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 and then we may move on. And so there's not a timetable for that that maybe you're used to. So maybe giving a little space for that. Um, I do think that the personality differences are probably a big piece here in your level of comfort. Um, it may be hard for you to understand, you know, his introverted ways. So I'm an introvert and I can tell you that a lot is going on in my mind, <laughs> even when I'm singularly focused or I'm sitting off by myself in the floor. <laughs> so, you know, I think be hard for parents when they can't see, you know, what's going on inside an introverted child's mind, especially if you have an extroverted child who's telling you everything, you know, because they're wanting to process out loud and tell you all the things they learned and saw and thinking about. And so then you're having this kind of delta between the two kids, but really, trust me, <laughs> there's a lot going on in there. And, you know, finding a way to see that beauty will help you keep you connected to your son. And as we always talk about, like, that's the goal, you know, staying connected to him. And, you know, even when we may not understand each other sometimes because we see the world a little bit differently. Um, and about your daughter, I, you know, I think you probably are going to be in a position now and in the future of helping her find friends and activities and things that interest her. Because my guess is when she's asking for school, it's really more about the social group piece. And that's probably why when she was present, presented with the worksheets at the table, you know, that was a no-go because she's like, wait a minute, I, don't, I thought the worksheets had friends around the table <laughs> together, you know. And so she's processing all of that too. But finding groups and creating groups would probably actually feed both of you. And as an extrovert yourself, you know, I think it may come easier for you than it might for me. So, you know, think of that as a great opportunity. But now with that, your next task is going to be finding ways for your son to have space and to not have to participate in the new groups you and your daughter are, are you know, are bringing into the, into your experience. Um, you know, so if you're at home, can he be in his room? If you're going out, can you find someone to stay with him? Or maybe there's a quiet place at the area where you're going where he can have his own space for games or reading or whatever he wants to do. So again, it's going to be about finding like, oh, how do we meet these different needs? But it, it can absolutely be done. Um, I think just, you know, breathing and seeing your children for who they are and, and finding the beauty in that will go a long way. You know, we're all different and it takes those differences to really bring out that rich tapestry of life. And so I think just stepping back and kind of seeing the beauty of the two of them and how differently their mind works, but yet how amazing they both are will just, again, help ground you in that moment and help connect you to your children, which is really just, you know, what we're all about here <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I loved all that and you yeah. know the the piece about um it being harder to know um what introverts are thinking and yeah. because they're not external processors verbal processors um that's that is a huge piece and i think that is part of what um what we get out of hanging out with them and actually listening to what they say and seeing what choices they make because they're instead of telling us with their words they're showing us with their actions yes. what they're thinking right yes. so it's just it, it's another language to learn for us um but but it's so worth it and they're still communicating with you it's just in a different way right I agree so much. And I think, again, you'll start to see those connections because you'll be like, 
oh, I see why he likes to do things this way. He saw this here. or Oh, I've seen him do this this other time. And so things will start to make sense. So it is kind of a decoding process. And I get that we're a little bit harder to understand than some other people. But, you know, it, it's it's worth that time and effort because and, and once an introvert kind of trusts you and knows that you're there to like really hear and listen and not, you know, change and, and interfere, they will open up and will share things with you, mm-hmm. you know. So often, but, but we are a little more guarded sometimes. <laughs> so, um, so I get that. Before we move on, there was just one other piece, yeah. just um, the w- phrase self-regulation. Mm, yeah. I think <laughs> that can, cause there were so many little pieces, no worry, Anna in the UK, <laughs> yeah, you'll, no you'll get to these, but, but I did want to bring that out maybe even for some other people listening as well, who might not quite be so new, but to be looking for self-regulation, um, that really gets in our way cause it adds another filter. We're looking for our kids to kind of control themselves. So it's like, we're looking for our kids to um, put an external framework on top of them selves, right? To say I should only be working or watching for this long or whatever. Yeah. Right. So it's even a layer beyond that though, because we lay we say self-regulation as if it's about the child, but it's really not at all. What you're saying is I want them to do what I want, I them, want to them to do, do. The way I want them to do it in the time frame I want them to do it. So it's really all about me or the parent or whoever's wanting, you know, I want you to do these things and I'm gonna call it self-regulation because again, that's just not how people operate. Like we get excited about things and dig deep in things. I'm not thinking about oh, is it, should I not be doing this anymore because I'm interested in it? And should I be stopping this and maybe going and doing this other thing for a little while? No, I'm engrossed in the passion of, you know, tomatoes at the moment. (laughs) So, you know, like whatever it is for me and my husband will tell you, it will change and be something different all the time. (laughs) But, you know, it's really intense when I'm doing it. So, you know, yeah, I think kind of watch that language and also just watch, um, where it's coming from. So again, it sounds nice. It sounds like we're saying, oh, he's going to have these skills, but really what you're asking is for him to do things the way that make you feel comfortable. So, you know, just kind of watch for those things. And, and to do it from a sense of control, yes. right? to control himself. Instead, look from the inside and see the choices that they're making. Right. Self-regulation right. is really um, about them making the, their choices. Like to me, it's, it's really, I want them to um, gain experience making choices that work for them is yeah. kind of how I would explain what self-regulation right, exactly. would be. <laughs> right, would right. actually be, but I'm not sure that's how people use exactly. the term. Right, right. But yeah. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Okay. Okay. So we should probably move on. <laughs> yeah, we got a lot of questions. All right. I'm going to go. I know. To- glasses on or off? Yeah. Glasses on for number two. <laughs> okay. Um, this question is from Loretta in Philadelphia. Hello. I have been an alternative educator of sorts my whole life, either on the road or with my friend's children. I always have people using me as a resource for finding interesting opportunities for their lives. Naturally, unschooling was attractive to me for that reason. As someone who doesn't have children yet, but plans to adopt and or have children in the future, how can I integrate myself into the unschooling culture now? I have always been a researcher and planner, and through my work, I find this type of schooling would fit best for my life and the skills I would like to pass on to my future children. 
as a child myself, I went to public school during the day and was homeschooled at night, so I can see both sides of the coin. However, there are amazing new opportunities like world schooling and de-schooling, and I am almost obsessed with the idea of traveling with kids, especially teenagers. I want to explore and learn, but would it be weird for me to show up at these conferences or even sending you questions as a person without children yet? I'm not sure and don't want to seem weird or out of place, I guess. Otherwise, thank you for being a great resource so far. So hello, <laughs> um, I love your enthusiasm and that, that's so fun. <laughs> and so of course you can write anytime you want. Um, I, you know, I think there are definitely conferences that lend itself to people that are checking out unschooling and that you would fit right in and really enjoy the community of that and meeting the speakers and the different things that are going on. Um, but something else I wanted you to consider was possibly offering your services to the local unschooling community. So share a passion, share something that you love with a group and meet people that way. Because I know, you know, in our local unschooling community, it's always so fun to find new mentors and new opportunities. And someone that's really sharing something from their heart and with a passion is such a gift. So, I mean, that's something you can give at any time. Um, you might be interested in connecting with Blake Bowles. So the work that he's doing with unschooled teens and young adults, I think you would really get a kick out of if you haven't read his books and, you know, seen the work that he's doing because I don't, well, Blake may have kids now, but he didn't when he started because he was quite young when he really got into all of that. So, you know, I think he might be somebody you'd be interested in, in looking up. And, um, but so here's one thing, <laughs> just a quick word, that when your children come along, they're going to be here on their very own journey. So it might not always look like the way you're planning now or picturing. So be sure to leave room for that to unfold. You know, I think you'll find that they will lead you in all kinds of new and interesting directions that you can't even imagine now. So it's going to be wonderful. But just wanted that little caveat there. <laughs> sometimes we have a, I'm a planner too. So sometimes I can get ahead of myself and I need to keep that in check when other people are involved. <laughs> so. Other people getting involved. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that, that was basically what I wanted to focus on too. You know, um, absolutely. There's all sorts of resources, books, websites, you know, blogs, everything out there at, for anyone. I know I've gotten emails from people who, you know, are maybe studying it, doing their thesis on alternative learning, you know, people who are just curious. Absolutely. Anybody can be curious about it at any stage, right? It just, for, for younger people, sometimes it's their passion. Like, like I'm like it. I'm sure it was for Blake and and for you, uh, Loretta. Um, the uh, you mentioned travel and, and teen unschoolers. Yeah, you mentioned Blake. Um, there are unschooling camps for teens and and other trips too for teens. Um, I think the the big piece is just to think about ways that you can add value to the community, like you were talking about, even with a local community, right? Something to share. You can offer that. Um, to the organizers, um, if you want to get directly involved, you can just have conversations with them and see, um, you know, ask your questions of them. If that's the kind of thing you're looking for at first, you, they may be looking to hire. They may be looking for volunteers. Maybe, you know, even for a travel something, you might get involved by helping with a website 
you know, there's just a million ways that don't literally mean you need to travel, but that you can engage and support and help and just become more connected to the community. So, I mean, that's that's the really fun piece. And and for conferences too, like you said, there'll be good ones, ones that'll be a good fit for you. I think um, often they are geared towards unschooling families or families that are interested in starting unschoolings, but uh, I would just connect with the organizer. You know, and say, yeah, I I love the idea and I would love to learn more and I'd love to come hang out. I know I said yes to a few people who over the years when I was running the conference approached me that way. Um, I think it's probably worth connecting with them because you will be a little bit different than most of the people that are there. But as long as you've engaged with um, the organizer, they know you're coming, you know, it it. It will be fine, I think. You know what I mean? It's just because they'll be they'll be excited for you too. They'll be glad that you're excited about it, and they know the people that come to their conference and how comfortable they will be. Um, so I think I think it's worth just reaching out to whoever you feel a connection with and bringing what value you see. You could even do a fun shop at those. <laughs> right. Well, that's not what I was thinking. And again, I think you're right. Like some conferences will lend itself more than others, yeah. but I'm thinking a volunteer you know these yeah. conferences are a lot to put together they may love to have your support in yeah. that way and then kind of integrate you into the community too in a fun way so yeah, yeah just lots of options but just talk to people and yeah. see what's going on yeah and don't worry about talking to people that's <laughs> okay question three is from talia in montreal what do you do when you know that unschooling is the best path for your child but you don't feel like you have the emotional financial or time resources to truly follow what is calling I am an artist, a poet, a, and theater performer, and creator, and highly passionate about what I do. I have no desire to be a stay-at-home mom. I also have a teaching degree and went to an alternative arts school, and I'm happy to follow intuitive child-led natural learning, but I can't find the balance at this point. My son is incredibly self-directed, knows exactly what he loves to do, but also has a sensory processing disorder, making all group settings and classes difficult for him, to say the least. He is highly intelligent, but when he tries to even take a music lesson, begs for violin lessons, and has since age three, he finds it terrifying and wants to flee. I feel like I am never enough to support him, and I feel like I am failing him. I want to walk this path alongside him, but quite simply feel I can't. It seems to me like a full-time job to support a child this curious, alert, high needs, and in some ways special needs, and I am worried I will not be able to find a balance and make us both happy. He is five and a half. Okay. Hi, Talia. It's, it's a really great question. Thank you so much for sending it in. And, you know, it reminds me of the choice that I made many years ago now to leave my job. And that was even before I knew about homeschooling and unschooling. Um, for me, it essentially boiled down to choosing what was more important to me. My job, which at the time was entirely the linchpin of my definition of, of success, right? It was the definition of me um, at that time, or my kids. And it feels like from what you've written that you might similarly be at that crossroads here. What do you want to be the most important thing for you? In the end, it can only be one thing, really. Something has to be most important. Um, certainly for me, that, that, that was my experience because it helped me make all those smaller everyday choices, right? Um, 
as you can surmise, I chose my kids, which eventually led to discovering homeschooling and then unschooling. But truly, there really, really is no right or wrong choice. It's only what's right for you, right? So if you choose to take on the seemingly full-time work of supporting your child and helping him thrive, you can definitely learn how to do it. Um, that's the kind of stuff we talk about all the time on the podcast, right? Um, it is something that you can figure out that you will learn if you choose to. And if that's what you're going to do, you likely need to release that current need to find a balance to make both of you happy, right? We're back to that idea of balance. But the really fascinating thing, though, in my experience, is that once you release that constraint of trying to find a balance between the two of you and you sink into your role as an unschooling parent, which means taking that time to de-school like we were talking about in the first question, to learn the ways um, you can support your unique child, to learn who your unique child really is and to embrace that child and sink into the flow of your unschooling days, you will find happiness and joy. And you will find ways to weave your artistic passions into your days. It may look different. It probably will look different <laughs> than it does now, than, than the way you're envisioning trying to get it to balance. That's what your challenge is right now. But unschooling definitely is another path to get there. But if you choose to accept that you truly have no desire to be a stay-at-home mom, that is okay too. And making that your highest priority doesn't mean that you have to leave your son to flounder in the world, right? You know this because you mentioned you attended an alternative arts school. You can try to find an alternative school that will support your son and his needs as much as possible. There are a growing number of schools that embrace self-directed education from Sudbury schools to agile learning centers. Um, it may not be the closest school to you. It may not be the cheapest school, but it's how you're also trying to fulfill your wish for him to have a more natural learning experience, right? So as I was kind of describing those two kind of directions, which of those snippets of possibilities connected with you the most, Talia? Think about that. That just might give you a clue as to which direction you might want to lead to. Anna? Yeah, so um, I guess I really do believe when I was reflecting upon your question that children are a full-time job. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I do. I really think they are. Um, I will say that the time goes quickly, so quickly. <laughs> and along the way, I found that there was room really for everyone to learn and grow and pursue passions, especially with unschooling. Because I would say for me, like I didn't have the reaction to being a stay-at-home mom. I had the reaction to, I don't want to be a school teacher. <laughs> so when people originally first said homeschooling to me, I'm like, mm -mm, I don't want to be a school teacher. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. Oh, no offense to school teachers, they're lovely, but I did not want to be one. But what that's what I love about unschooling, because it's really about all of you following passions together and doing and, you know, and so I love that aspect of it and its flexibility and its room for passion. It's, it's foundation upon passion, which is so great um, because I am someone who loves to do all the things. As I mentioned, <laughs> I have so many interests and there are not enough hours in the day. 
But I did make a conscious choice like Pam did to prioritize my children. You know, they are with me for what really has turned out to be quite a short time. And I wanted to provide that foundation of love and support and unconditional love. And I found ways along the way to keep it super interesting for me, you know, and, and, you know, sometimes that was pursuing arts and different things in that way. And sometimes it was, you know, diving into all of this, like this intellectual aspect of, you know, parenting and unschooling and all of those things have just been a fascinating journey along the way. Um, you know, so maybe there's ways for you to reframe the time and really find the joy in supporting your son because, oh my gosh, he sounds like a really amazing kid. So I think you could have a lot of fun if you could let go of that idea of balance, like Pam's saying, you know, because that's where you're getting stuck. I want this exactly like I want it to look. And then I, I like this thing, you know, this amazing kid too, but I think you'll find it's really going to be a little bit more blurred together and a little bit more um, just different than you thought. So just leave that open to unfolding kind of like I was telling, I think it was Loretta before, you know, we have ideas about how we think things are going to play out, but really it's, if we can just step back and let things unfold, it's often a lot better than we could even plan or imagine. Truly, truly. I know that it is the hardest piece that, that trust piece Right. And and especially at first, it's really hard because you're trusting what other people are telling you. Right. You don't have any personal experience yet. Um, after I, that's why I always like I talked about taking that year. Right. Because within that year, I know that you are going to have two, three, half a dozen revelatory moments yes. where you see um, how things have worked out better than you could have imagined. You know, where you thought, oh, I needed to go ABC, but I'm going to sit back like they say, not sit back uninvolved, but sit no. back and, and let it flow the way it flows yeah. instead of trying to direct the flow. And then XYZ ends up super amazing, you know, no idea. But I mean, even over the years, I've still had to get to that place where I remember to trust and look back and remember all the times, like even yeah. for myself and the things that I want to do in my own life, as well as, you know, right. my kids and family. This is a forever thing. This is a life thing. So much of anything that you have questions about unschooling, it's really life, right? Because my kids are, are all older now, but I, I still have these moments. These These are life moments. These are trusting that... Things are going to unfold if, even if I don't try to control them to go in a certain direction because there is just so much more anguish, pain, um, frustration, really, yes. when you try to direct the flow right. of your day. But letting yourself discover the flow of the day is amazing. Yes. But, yeah, it, it's that trust piece. <laughs> For sure. Okay, here I am again. All right, to question four from Rachel in Louisiana. Hi, 
I am writing because I struggle with feeling like I'm not present enough for my children. We have been unschooling for a couple years. I was the stay-at-home parent when they were both little. Then when my youngest child was 19 months, I went back to work. I was exhausted physically and emotionally due to many, many years of sleep deprivation. Going back to work was a breeze compared to staying at home. However, being away from my kids all day made me realize that I missed that lifestyle and them. I knew that I definitely wanted to homeschool, unschool with them for the long haul. Work seemed meaningless compared to the joy of being with them. So I decided to quit my job again and figure out a way to nourish myself enough that I could happily and energetically unschool with them. They are four and seven. Things are becoming less demanding of my energy as the kids get older. They don't wake up as much anymore, so that's a huge help. However, I keep trying to find balance and focus. It would be much easier for me to find balance and stay present if I didn't have this burning desire to cultivate my own passions. I am an artist, and I also try keep to keep working. Excuse me. I also keep trying to work on writing. their dads make sure to balance their own needs and desires with that of their children. I don't seem to be able to start working on something while my, ch my children are awake. I can't find focus enough to break away and do my own projects. I will start doing all these mindless things like organize a room or clean something when I really want to be painting or writing. I have played around with waking up early to paint and when I do that I can easily focus with the house so quiet and so little distractions. It can only be three minutes of creativity for me, but it sets up the day to be beautifully, to be beautiful and present. I'm so content and present with my children when I first have that time to myself. And I try to wake up early more to give myself that time, but I am tired or someone woke me up at the night or I just couldn't find the energy to wake up early again. So basically I'm feeling stuck because I found this great solution. However, I can't seem to realistically put it into practice. I need so much sleep and to be happy and healthy. I've never been the type of person who can go with less than eight hours of sleep. So also, it's not that my children require me to entertain them during the day. They have always been able to get deeply engaged in play. I think the problem is with me, but I can't seem to figure out a solution. Thoughts? I get a lot of inspiration and guidance from your books and blog, and I'd love to know how you were able to be present for your kids and devote time to your passion of writing as well. Okay, and so Rachel actually wrote back to Pam a little bit later. I wanted to send an update. A few weeks ago, I sent in a question for your podcast. A few days after, I listened to one of your older podcasts, as I often do, and it was a Q&A podcast, and the person was asking how to balance her two kids' needs. One of your co-hosts responded how she does not think about balance, but thinks about flow. I have started doing this, and it transformed me. I am feeling so much better about our days, and I'm really better able to see things more clearly. Thank you so much for all you do for unschoolers. However, if you have anything to add about finding success with nurturing our own creative pursuits while nurturing our kids, I will be all ears. Sincerely, Rachel. So, hi, Rachel. And um, I'm going to take my glasses off because it makes me woozy <laughs> when I'm not reading. <laughs> um, I love that Anne's ideas around flow really hit home for you. Um, you know, it's such a simple shift. It's a nuance, really, but it can make all the difference, just like we were talking about in the question before, that balance is that seeking of balance is kind of a stuck position versus the unfolding and flow and, and you know, kind of stepping back and letting that that have its own life. Um, as I mentioned earlier, also, you know, I think there's tons of room for creativity and joy, even when we're focused on being a mom. You know, I found that some things I did have to set aside for a while when they were young and writing for me was actually one of those things. 
Um, you know, I know some people are able to write in kind of fits and starts, but I found as a writer, I really wanted quiet, concentrated time where I could really have all my thoughts and have time to get them out on paper. Um, but I found I could create art and pursue other passions right alongside my children. And I taught myself to play the guitar and made jewelry and created all sorts of art. And I even found ways to write after some period of time where I wrote short articles. Um, you know, novels weren't going to happen for me at that point, but when they were little, but I enjoyed the intellectual pursuit of writing about parenting and unschooling and relationships in general and the world and all of these things that, and composting and sustainable living and all the things that I was passionate about. So I got that writing in, but in a little bit different way than I was doing it before I had kids. Um, you know, and I think as you follow this new flow that you've discovered, you'll find that new opportunities arise that will feed you and your creative side. You know, kids love to create and bringing them along for that journey can be really satisfying. So I think you'll find ways where you're all, you know, sometimes it's parallel play where you're doing pieces and they're doing pieces and sometimes you're creating things together. But that's that idea of just being open and, and letting things flow and seeing all these new ideas bubble up because like we were saying before, I feel like it's limiting to plan only what's in my head. What I learned the most about having children is there's power in that synergy of all of our brains creating amazing solutions, you know, so it's not really just about me. So anyway, I think you're already on that right track, but um, <laughs> there's a few things out there, <laughs> Pam. <laughs> yeah, no, I thought I would just share, um, I'll put it in the show notes. There is a blog post that I wrote that I can see from the link that it was back in 2013. <laughs> That really speaks nicely to my experience with um, nurturing, with writing, basically, alongside my kids' lives, right? It was, I called the post, What's Behind a Typical Unschooling Day? And, and it talks all about that. So go read that. Um, it's definitely important to acknowledge that when our kids are younger, we are more actively engaged with them, too. So we're not going to have longer stretches. So I loved all those ideas that Anna talked about. And it's so true. You'll find moments when you're looking in the flow rather than trying to create those moments. Those moments are there for you to engage in something that um, engages you. But when you're more open, like you were saying there is beauty in doing things with them. You, you know, my, I used to have such a strong delineation between, you know, what adults did and what children did, right? You know, and we are just so respect, disrespectful of what children do. It's, it's so childish and it's just what they do and it would be totally boring and I'm not using my brain to do this stuff with them, right? It's like we think we have to turn off our brain to play board games with the kids or to do Lego with like, Oh my gosh, no, there is so much um, that we can engage with them at our level. They at their level and, and you, you learn that they are entirely capable, intelligent human beings, right? When you start engaging with them as human beings, everybody can be on their level and it's amazing altogether. Um, I did want to share a very short little story. My book editor is also an unschooling mom. So my first book, Free to Learn, um, which was published in 2012, that book took us a year to edit. 
Okay, we sent chapters back and forth, each of us working on it when we found the time in the flow of our unschooling lives. We didn't set deadlines on each other. We checked in with each other, you know, hope things are well, haven't heard from you in a month. <laughs> yep, we're just, you know, busy doing XYZ and we would share little snippets of our lives with each other. Um, but that was, that was that was the joy of that relationship and of that work. It was work that we were doing that fit in our lives. Sure, I loved the book and I was excited to release the book, but it wasn't more important than everything else because that would have put a wrench in everything. And now my newest book, The Unschooling Journey, which I edited with her as well, and it came out just a couple months ago. That took us less than two months. <laughs> and that book was significantly longer than the first book. It was like twice as long as the first book too. But all our kids are all like in their 20s yeah. now and have their own lives. Uh, so so life is just different now. But So I thought that might be just a fun little snapshot to see. We're engaging and doing our things as it comes up. But the, over the years, the flow of our lives changed too. So embracing that rather than getting upset about it is... Right really really valuable because because once when you notice you're starting to get mad about it that's the time to step back if you, when you're starting to feel frustrated oh i wish i could you know have more time to write or have more time to that's when i know i've disconnected from the other things in my life because those other things are awesome too and i've lost the awesomeness right and so I know, oh, I'm getting disconnected because I'm not seeing the, the value, the importance, the joy, the everything that all those other things are. I've started to place too much value on something else that's, that's disconnecting our lives, not connecting it. And my choice is, is the connection piece. Um, okay, this question is from Maddie in Taiwan. I am Maddie from Taiwan. My son has been an unschooler for 10 years. He is 16 now. I've been brought up in a very conservative education system, and I didn't like it. That's the reason why my son asked me to unschool him at home, home when he was a first grader. I was afraid, but I knew I had to do something to help him. We started from homeschooling and then to unschooling. He is interested in computer games and music. He's got the talent in music. The problem I am encountering right now is that he knows that he has the talent in music and he likes his classical guitar teacher very much, but he only practices the music spontaneously. When we talk about this, and he said he knows that he has a time-controlling problem, but he hasn't found the way of controlling it yet, <clears throat> and he went back to his computer again. I know he has learned a lot more than we can imagine through Reddit, games, YouTube, etc. My question is... Most of the school students or those children who learn the discipline to practice for a certain amount of time, even though they are not happy to do so much of the, most of the time, once they form the habit to do it, they will eventually experience the abundant fruits and have the chance to be the master of this field. That also brings them confidence, doesn't it? But somehow, when I do the research of the unschoolers when it comes to the, this achievement, of course they can live happily if they are satisfied with their life. I guess I'm just thinking too much for their adult future because we're living in an Eastern society. Thank you very much for your time. Hi, Maddie. I was wondering if you've listened to my podcast interview with Alan Marshall. That's episode number 110 because he's a music teacher and we had a great conversation about this idea of practice. So I actually want to share just a little snippet of something Alan said. He said, actually, I would discourage, particularly someone starting to do music and most other arts, from doing practice. Uh, 
I would say don't practice. And really, I think the problem is formal practice. Like, I'm going to sit down now and I'm going to practice piano for an hour because it's my practice time. Because I think that just doing that is pretty doomed to be counterproductive. In my opinion, as a musician and somebody who wants to help people who want to learn about music, that has discouraged a lot more music making than it's helped. For most people, if you start by saying, I'm going to practice an hour a day, even if they are motivated, even if they want to do it, that is often not the best way to help them learn about music. I think it is much better to get involved in music making. You're not going to practice an hour a day if you don't want to. You might tinkle around on the keyboard and seem like you're practicing so that you don't get into trouble, but you're not going to practice. But if you're involved in making music that you're interested in and you care about, then that counts as practice, particularly if you're doing it with other people. So I love that. And I feel like what your son is is feeling might be an expression of uh, resistance to that idea of practice, right? Um, we all have that, that voice in our head and he's hearing that voice where you have to practice, you have to practice. And, and he's feeling intuitively that that's not working for him and that's building up this resistance. When you remove that pressure um, of the you have to do that, it's that have to, he may actually find that he ends up playing more in the end because now it's just uh, fun for him to do. Like he said, I'm just making music. I'm making music. And then they're actually playing more. And as he said, that's real valuable practice. And I think that would be something really valuable for you guys to explore. And just a heads up, I have an interview coming up in the next month or so on the podcast uh, that you might be interested in. My guest and I are going to dive more into the hurdles of de-schooling and unschooling in Eastern culture. So I think that might be fun too. Yeah, that will be interesting. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, I think that there are a lot of beliefs in the world about how things have to be done. And what unschooling has taught me is that there's never just one way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, endless practice and regimented practice is one way, but it's not the only way. And as you know, Pam's guest said, probably not the best way. <laughs> but you know, I think especially for someone who finds music comes easily. And I'm thinking of that because my daughter um, played piano for years. Um, she did not practice often at all, yet she continued to excel through the lessons and she loved it. You know, she picks up things super quickly and she didn't need hours and hours of, you know, practicing in that regimented way. She would play the songs she liked and she, until she felt comfortable with them and then she'd move on and sometimes she wouldn't practice for several days and sometimes, and, and we didn't really even call it practice, we just said, play the piano, you yeah. know, or you yeah, can yeah. play the piano, you know, and oh, you're playing the piano, you know, that kind of thing. We just never even use those terms. And in fact, when we first started the music lessons, you know, he had obviously more traditional students in the class too. It was a group class. And he was like, okay, so we're going to have the sheets and sign off and check the practice. And I just took him aside afterwards. And I'm like, we're not going to do that. So if you find she's not performing in a way that you're comfortable with as a teacher when she's here, then we can, you know, talk to her about that. And maybe this isn't a good fit, but we won't be checking off any sheets about mm -hmm. practicing. And, you know, he was one of her best students, you know, and he loved her just love of music. You know, yeah. so that was really cool. 
Um, and I also think it, kind of along the lines of the other guests too, when something's a deep passion, you know, it just doesn't feel like drudgery to be working on it. So you, you don't even have to have that kind of framework around it, you know, because I know a lot of musicians and you can't keep the guitar out of their hand <laughs> because they're wanting to play it all the time and express their emotions through it all the time and just, you know, tinker with it. And how does this sound and what is that going to be like? And so I think it's just kind of trusting that it will all unfold how it needs to, like we've been talking about, and also maybe coming to terms that he might not end up doing music. And I say that because um, my daughter, the same piano daughter, has shown um, outstanding talent in a lot of different fields, and then she will just leave them behind. And that's really hard for people. And it, it, there's a times when it's hard for me, but I've gotten used to her and it, and so I, I really just like, oh, here we go. <laughs> you know, it's fine. Because, but what happens that's kind of fascinating is as soon as she shows an aptitude for something, um, everybody jumps in, all these adults around her. Oh, are you going to be a welder? Are you going to be a, you know, potter? Yeah. Are you going to be a piano player? Are you going to do this when you grow up kind of thing when she was younger? And, you know, she was just exploring, you know, she was just trying things on and seeing how it feels and just enjoying that intellectual pursuit of learning something new. So her journey is to find the one thing that not only she has aptitude for, you know, from an outside perspective, but something that really holds her interest and has a spark in her, you know, or she may be more like me and want to do lots of different things. Yeah, yeah. You know, again, there's just no one right way, even though society likes to paint that picture. And it, it's, again, one of those things that are fascinating. I think Eastern cultures definitely do it, but, but we do it here too, you know, this painted picture of this path that's very linear but the reality even when you talk to people that have followed that linear path they're going all over the place too it's yeah. it's really not it's a myth or what would you call it like it's not even a, a truism you know this yeah, yeah. one path and you're going to go to college and you're going to have the one career and you're going to have the one career for the next 40 years like that really doesn't exist anymore so you know I think just realizing that yes people kind of give lip service to these things that they think it should be one way it's really not that way so I just try not to even give that energy at all and just focus on what do I want to do you know what does my child want to do how do we want to move through the world in this moment right here because that's what we have this moment right here so you know I think some of those things might help and I am fascinated about this guest that's coming up because I you know my friend Pat and I talk a lot about eastern cultures because her son's interested in moving to Japan and you know the dramatic differences and how they view some of this stuff. So that's interesting. Yes, yes. I just finished. I just finished arranging the interview. I never like to announce because then I right interviews come. They sure. they fall through. The, yeah, <laughs> and especially there's a twelve hour time difference that we're trying to negotiate. That's going to be tricky. But I'm sure it will all work out. I'm very excited to speak with her. <laughs> great. Okay, so I am going to move on to question six from D in Tennessee. Um, I started homeschooling, and I also just moved to Tennessee. So we had to submit what we were going to school, but that isn't working. So how do I start unschooling without getting in trouble? So, um, hi, D. <laughs> Oops, glasses again. <laughs> me when I look up and I'm like, um, I do not know the specifics of Tennessee law, but I know there are plenty of unschoolers there. And so, you know, I think the process, you know, 
uh, is really for anyone when you're moving to any state. So in the United States, if you're homeschooling in the United States, basically every state has a different set of laws. So, you know, as soon as you move and even before, just really start digging into that and also reading the specifics of the law, but also join the local groups. Because um, what you'll find, like I, I now live in Virginia, but at the time I lived in North Carolina when I was homeschooling and unschooling, we had an annual test requirement in North Carolina. And, you know, that can scare people. But when you look at the law and you talk to the local homeschoolers, really you realize, okay, this has a lot of flexibility. Here's what we can do. If you can give it at home, you do this. Now we never had issues with it, but you know, there's just, so talk to those people in Tennessee. And there's a lot of them. I personally know a bunch of unschoolers in Tennessee. So I was thinking maybe we could post a few links for you um, with some Tennessee groups. But honestly, if you just Google Tennessee and unschooling, I had a whole page of stuff that came up. There's even a wonderful unschooling summer camp for teens that my daughter has attended in the past and will actually be attending again this summer. So, you know, there's a lot of unschooling going on there and they would be happy, I'm sure, to kind of help you navigate the laws and understand it looks like maybe they have some umbrella options and you have some other personal options. So I think you've got plenty of options to work with. Yeah. And, and that's the answer Um, for for anybody anywhere, you know, I I think there are pretty much unschooling groups all, all over nowadays, you know, all over the world, honestly, even people that that thought countries that are not super friendly, there's unschoolers figuring it out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Googling just to find, and, and the other thing to remember is if you don't find unschooling, Google with homeschooling Um, because really regulations are homeschooling. There's no such thing really as unschooling. Unschooling's a a style of homeschooling when, when you're talking about the regulations and legalities of it. Um, And you'll just, you'll find some uh, local unschoolers that'll tell you how they are um, living and unschooling with make who, how they're making it work. Yeah. Where, where you are. And, and I think that will send you down a fascinating rabbit hole. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I know that's how I found, uh, you know, before, before the kids left school, um, that there were homeschooling families in Ontario actually doing it. I found a forum where they were. I just saw people's names. I saw they were in Ontario and you know, that was enough for me. Okay. You know, so they're making it work somehow. Okay. Kids, you want to come home? (laughs) Okay. Uh, the next question is anonymous. Um, I am firmly supportive of my kids and their choice of activities. I play with them. We are a radical unschooling family who has few, if any issues with kids having agency over their choices. One struggle that still remains, even though we've de-schooled so many over the years, is how to create an environment that supports regular physical activity in all our kids. Our daughter does an exercise class weekly and is quite active. One of her brothers is not as active, but will get outside to do things periodically. But specifically, we have a child who seems to be becoming more interested in eating foods that fuel him well, yet still tends toward high-carb options more often than not, and it's made him overweight and a doctor would say obese. I have prepped foods he likes, cut peppers, broccoli, cut lettuce, fruits of choice, and he will eat those readily, but more often than not, he asks me to make calorie-dense foods like macaroni salad and goulash, chicken piccata, meatloaf, mashed potatoes, and potato salad. When these foods are made and in the house, he will eat them through in one or two days. He also loves ramen, 
but has it only one time a week because we've discussed that it shouldn't be a daily food. He only drinks sugar soda when we go to a restaurant these days, and he recognizes the sugar content of soda. I'm also asked to go out and get chicken fingers or tuna clubs, um, burritos, rice and refried beans. When he's eating, his hunger cues tend to be slow to signal as he can eat large quantities of food in a sitting. Although he does mention to me when he is not hungry at times outside of a meal. Over the years, I've observed him having a sensory relationship to food and he has tended to food jag often where he'll be eating all of one thing and then be off it for months on to something else. Snacking late at night is also an issue. He often has crackers and applesauce and cereal, various bars and chips in various stages of being eaten next to his bed as he watches videos before falling asleep. My husband thinks that his odd sleep-wake schedule affects his circadian rhythms and really thinks we need to actively step in to help him control his behaviors. I know that I need to be better about providing healthier options and make them more readily available, but seriously, the volume of food is large and it's hard to stock up for long, and with the jags, I can stock up and essentially throw away all that food because he's moved on. We live in the Northeast, so winter tends to have us indoors more often than not. We also live just outside Boston in a neighborhood with few other children, so there is little daily incentive to jump outside for activities. The child of which I speak does not like to be over hot, so he only likes going outside in the spring and fall when it's cool. What we have done to make physical activity choices easy and accessible, we have trampolines, swings, offers of walks uptown in good weather, outdoor play stuff, zip line, swing set, Local parks, park days, jump ropes, med balls, weights, standing desks, yard games, bows, bows and arrows, basketball hoop, fire pit, and I've started buying yard gems like cornhole and ladder ball, stuff like that. I guess I'm looking to hear from parents who have had kids who, who, when given freedom of choice, have ended up heavier than just a little fat here and there, and who may be concerned about the potential for diabetes. <clears throat> I'm fearful to bring him to, into a pediatrician because of the potential to make him overly self-conscious of his body. I'm sure that they would suggest imposing a nutritional plan or diet on him, and I'm not sure that aligns with the radical unschooling. At least I have to understand how to present this idea in a radical unschooling way. He is open to exercise. He is open to suggestions on food, but I don't think he knows how to change his behavior. And I sit in inaction because I don't want to create a worse issue by making him have issues around food. Yet seeing the bad that comes from not having guidance here, overweight and incapable of sustaining walking or any physical activity for long out of fatigue or pain. I would welcome any ideas as to how to approach this. I have placed one of my favorite pictures of this son from when he was three years old and smiling on my computer backdrop so I could shift my energy when I see him to seeing that wonderful smiling kiddo full of vim and vinegar. Vim and vigor. <laughs> that has helped immensely in my interactions with him, but I still have no idea how to tackle this in a way that supports him versus controls his choices seem to run a fine line. Thanks. I really, really appreciate your question. I think it's a great one. Now, what jumped out at me um, was that you say he's open to exercise and food suggestions, but the challenge is that you find yourself not knowing how to move forward from there because you're feeling like you'll come across as judgmental and create a power struggle around the issue. That's, that's how I've heard how I um, interpreted what you talked about as, as inaction, right? 
Because I, I remember that stage of inaction of not yet seeing a way to freely help my child explore something new because I had some issue around it. <clears throat> so for me, the way forward was to do the personal work, it's always our work, <laughs> needed to get to the root of my feelings of judgment. Like, I, I'm stuck because I know I don't want to share those feelings. And, and even talking, you'll be able to hear it and feel it coming out of me. So that's why I'm choosing not to act right now. You know, I can see that, but this is where you're feeling stuck, right? So it might be helpful for you to dig into some things that you mentioned in your question. I just thought I'll pull out a couple of things and that might help you find a place to start. So, for example, you mentioned you chose a picture from when he was three and full of vim and vigor. So, maybe ask yourself why you chose that particular picture. You know, why the image of being physically active has more value to you than, say, a picture of him deeply engrossed in a more intellectual activity or a less physical activity, you know, deeply engaged with Legos when he was three or, or anything like that. You know, again, there's no right, wrong answers. It's, you know, why did that pull you? You know, maybe it's just, it's because this is what you're looking for, right? You're starting, you're digging into um, where this is coming from for you. Uh, maybe think about how you feel at the thought of visiting the pediatrician. Might your worry about your son's reaction to the possibility of having a diet plan suggested to him be more about your worry of feeling judged yourself in that situation, right? You know, if you're going into it openly, maybe it, maybe a doctor suggesting this or sharing it is just more, is just information for him. Nobody's forcing him, you know, it's just information. It's just a conversation. It might be a starting conversation for you guys. So what is it that's, that's really holding you back? It might not be a big deal for him. It, it might be, you don't, you don't know, but maybe it could be something from yourself, that feeling of feeling judged or disappointment or whatever it is. I think that might be helpful to dig in. So those are just some ideas to help you start. Because I think what you're going to find as you explore is that your thoughts and feelings about all these different aspects of the issue are just that. They're yours. Okay, your thoughts and feelings say a lot about you and how you like to engage with the topic, right? Because you're seeing them through your filter, your judgment of what's good, what's bad. And, you know, in this case, we're talking about food and exercise. But, you know, for me, it, it can be any topic that we are feeling judgmental about and we feel like we can't act because we're stuck, right? Um <clears throat> It's not, again, this isn't about burying your thoughts, about them being wrong. It's important to acknowledge your thoughts and feelings around it all, to own your thoughts and feelings, and then to realize that these say nothing about your son, right? Once I manage to disentangle myself from all of it, then all of a sudden I could more clearly see things through my child's eye. Oh my gosh, the weight of any expectation that they make the same choices as me was gone. It, it, 
it's pretty incredible because now I can find my voice. That inaction that was stopping me, now that I've untangled and realized all that was my um, thoughts and feelings around the issue and owning them as mine, now, boom, okay, they have nothing to do with my son. All of a sudden, I know nothing about what my son thinks about food and exercise. He's like open to hearing my suggestions uh, and ideas around food. And he's open to hearing suggestions around exercise. And now that I know all that stuff was mine, now I'm curious to see and I can now help him explore and engage with the topic on his terms through his eyes. Now I'm like excited and curious to see what my kid might see, to see how they see the situation, to discover what their path might be through it. Even if, because now I'm okay with their path being different. I've, I've now taken, pulled out all that that was mine and owning that. And I'm happy with that. And I'm living that because those are the kinds of choices I make. But now I'm not owning his path anymore. I'm not... Um, trying to control it. Now I'm trying to help him discover. Now we can have lots of conversations with them without that fear and judgment and expectation hovering below the surface that we don't want to pass on, you know, to show and give them issues because then they have to worry about incorporating our expectations, right? But now you can freely talk with him about how he feels after after he's been active, you know, Um if he's feeling sore, out of breath, whatever, whatever. And how does he feel about that being happening? After he eats a meal quickly, after he eats lots of carbs, you know, now you're going to be able to help him explore and discover how he feels about all these things, not how you think he should feel about this stuff. And if he wants to try out a plan, whatever it is, you can help him follow through however he would like you to help him and then chat with him about how it turned out, help him process it. What's important is that he make the plan, right? Because this is, this is what's interesting to him. This is his question about it all. And then you can help him make it happen and you can help him process it and you do that over and over. And that's how you can help him explore and learn and discover what his path is going to be through all this. Okay, was that enough? That that was so. Thank you very much for that question. It was it was very interesting, and and you know it brought up for me those times when I felt oh I can't say anything because I all I feel right now is judgment, and it was every single time me working out and teasing out the pieces that were me and understanding that they were me, owning that they were me, and then being curious to discover and help my kid. Right, and just using it as a red flag. Yeah. Um, when I read the question, um, you know, I can feel your angst and all that you're holding on to related to this. And it made me kind of wonder um, what your own history is with food and exercise and how you were treated as a child, because um, I have, you know, my own baggage that, you know, I have from childhood related to that. And I know how insidious it is and how it just kind of creeps up and it changes things. And so, you know, like Pam said, I think using that as a, huh, why am I having this reaction? Where is this coming from? Really looking deep will allow you to then come through with that just curiosity that she mentioned. Um, and I think it might also help to think through what would control look like. Yeah. And I'm saying that because um, I think if you walk through that, realizing that even if you tried to control his behavior or eating or exercise, that you'd realize we really can't control another person. Mm 
you know, I've had friends who had their eating strictly controlled and, you know, exercise was mandatory and this was just the way their family was. And basically it, it did result in a lifetime of issues around food and their bodies. And so I'm wondering if this is just one of those situations where we need to say, first off, it's not the unschooling. <laughs> like, because it really, this isn't about unschooling this. We can't control another person, what they put in their mouth, how they react. So you can pretend to do that and think that you're doing that and they're going to sneak or do or whatever, if that needs not being met. So this really isn't about unschooling. Um, this is this child's journey, you know, and, and with that said, I share a lot of information about the food that I eat and my body and my experiences. Um, I have always put the focus not on food or activity, but on listening to my own body and encouraging and helping my girls learn how to listen to their own body. How does it feel? So there's not a judgment about, you know, this is right, this is wrong, this is whatever. It's like, oh, so how do you feel? Because what I've learned with food, and, and food is kind of a passion area for me, is that something that makes a you know, particular diet or way of eating that makes me feel great makes someone else feel bad and someone else, the diet that works for them doesn't work for me. So I've shared that with my girls, you know, I did. So it's just, how do you feel? And that becomes the guiding principle versus this judgment about what's right or particularly wrong, because that's just from our own filter and perspective. Um, and I'm wondering, you mentioned early on that you play together, but I'm wondering if there's maybe activities to do together. Cause what I saw a lot later in the post was wanting him to go out and play, you know? And so I think that's different because I think kids want to be with us a lot of times. And so just, you know, how is that energy around the family? Like, are we just enjoying being outside together or doing things together? And, you know, maybe looking at that again, are you sitting here going, well, I want him to do this feels different than, oh, I'm enjoying this. Do you want to join me? And he may say yes or no, but there's just a little nuance there that, that might be making a difference. Um, I guess in the end, you know, I think that he will be so much better served if, you know, to let go of that idea that there's one right way to look, you know, and to just love him, you know, love him for who he is. People come in all shapes and sizes and, you know, continue to share your journey and trust in his journey, you know, because I feel like the priority for me would be love and acceptance over anything else, because his ability to live a happy life and contribute to the world around him is not based on his size or physical shape. And I would really hate for anyone to give that impression, because I think that type of thing really sits with the person for a long time afterwards. And so just celebrating that who he is, is amazing. And what he brings to the world and the way his mind works and the way he interacts with people and the things that he does, like focus on all those pieces. And just, you know, even if you just can tell yourself for a, for a month or for whatever, I'm just not even going to think about those pieces. I'm going to really see him and I'm going to connect with who his spirit and soul is inside of him. I think it may change things for both of you because I think some of it may be unspoken because I hear you that you're holding yourself back. But, but I also know from experience with mothers and people and, and you know, that, you know it's there. <laughs> you know it's there, even if it's not being said. But when somebody yeah. can truly see me, like see who I am and what I am separate from those things, like that connects me to that person in a different way. And that changes things. So 
those are the few things I wanted to throw out there. Yeah, I mean, that, that, I love that whole piece of celebrating him for all the amazing things he is, who he is right now, right? And just diving into remembering those, like maybe a picture of him today, yeah. you know, maybe just, you know, that just reminds you to see the whole person that he is. Don't just see that one issue. Right. And that's loving that picture. That like person. maybe yes, that's exactly. the personal work. If that picture speaks to you the way it sounded like it did in your post, like seeing that picture of him today and just loving every second of that picture, you know, because that's the energy that you want to greet him with that. I love you right now who you are. And so I don't know. I feel like there may be some opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yay. Okay. Last question, Anna. Oh. Yay. Okay. So our last question is from Yane in Johannesburg, South Africa. From the start of our parenting journey, oops, I've done something. Okay. From the start of our parenting journey, my husband and I have both been committed to instinctive attachment parenting. Just before my daughter turned one, we came across the philosophy of unschooling, which led us to investigate and start applying radical unschooling principles to our everyday lives. My daughter is now two, and her little brother is seven months old. We also share our days with our housekeeper's son, who was born only two days after my daughter. So it's almost like having twin toddlers running around. I listen to the old episodes of the podcast every day, and I find such amazing value from your perspective, especially with the Q&A episodes where you all give different opinions. The running theme of connection really resonates with me, and I see it playing out daily. Whenever I experience conflict or frustration with the children, it is when I have allowed our connection to slip for a moment. I know that the secret to connection and joy in general is mindfulness and being present in the moment at hand. What I'm struggling with and what I'd like to get your input on is how to balance mindful presence with the necessary planning and preparation that is part of daily life with three little ones. I try to join them in their flow and I've made a mind map of sorts to help me figure out things that we can do together. Um, example of hanging laundry when the toddlers want to jump on the trampoline, the obstacle I'm facing is that I need to think a few steps ahead when, um, when to work in diaper changes, prep snacks before they get hangry, get the baby into quiet space when he's ready to nap, etc. So I can put things in place to help them the next time that do the next thing that they're interested in, you know, preparing art supplies, keep an eye on them, when they want to roam outside, etc. This constant thinking ahead makes it difficult for me to stay in the moment and connect with their perspective because it seems like there's always another thing that needs to be done. Specifically for the kids, I've let go of my personal hobbies like sewing and such for now. The preparation is also often wasted. By the time I manage to facilitate what they want to do, their interest has been grabbed by something else. Any advice? So hello. Um, Oh, glasses. <laughs> I, I think that, um, you know, I think there's a dance involved with being fully present and thinking ahead to help things run smoothly. It's, it's not a balance, you know, so this balance has come up again. It's really like Anne said in the other podcast, it's a flow, but I'm going to call it a dance here because I think it, it's, it's this movement, it's this back and forth, it's just kind of finding the sweet spot you know, you mentioned that your preparation is often wasted. And so I think that might be a clue that staying focused and connected in the present moment may actually serve you more right now than trying to jump the few steps ahead. You know, that connection and present focus will help create the flow that we're talking about. And, you know, I've seen that make those other moments more manageable. So kind of, I, and I think you've even seen a little bit of this based on something you said earlier in your question, 
So when you keep that focus on connection and being present, when those times arise, when it's time to switch activities or someone's hungry or whatever, you're so connected that that flows a lot easier than if you've you know, disconnected and then that happens with you not present or with something, you know, w when the two of you are out of sorts or the four of you are out of sorts. Um, so, but I also just think, you know, you have a lot of little ones running around and, you know, that's, it's exciting and so much fun and things are going to change, you know, so quickly too. So, you know, it, it, we can find a strategy right now with you and it's going to be different, you know, <laughs> a week or two <laughs> for now or a month or two for now, because that's how amazing kids at that age are. You know, I think toddlers teach us so much about being present and they give us so many opportunities to flow through different emotions. You know, I love how they can be in an emotion and then bounce back and change and move on. And I'm kind of reeling from whatever we've just been through. <laughs> I love their ability to do that. And it's helped me a lot. And like, okay, I don't need to hang on to this. I can come right back, you know? And so I guess I do still feel like, even though I am a planner also, that present moment is much more helpful with children than even my, you know, planning, even though I'm still, that's just who I am. So I'm going to be thinking ahead sometimes. Um, but you know, anyway, I love that process with toddlers and kids. And, and again, that's that finding that gift and that interest in all of those moments, you know, with all the different ages. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm going to, I, uh, you're going to recognize some of my answer. <laughs> and I, I loved your question, Yanni, because really it does sound like the flow of life, you know, what you're describing. And I have to go with that dance of parenting because I have always loved that dance metaphor because as in life with children, there are often lots of changes in direction, right? This way, this way, forward, back, sideways. And sometimes you do get out of sync and are looking just to get back in step with one another. Yeah, that happens. It's like the back and forth you're talking about of being in the moment and thinking a few steps ahead just to try and keep things kind of running smoothly. And sometimes it flows and sometimes we step on someone's toes or they step on ours. It, it really is life. And with younger kids, I think it can sometimes feel a bit more like we're dancing in a mosh pit, right? <laughs> Hands on and just bouncing off one another, just boom, this way, this way, this way. But yes, being there, I learned so much from just seeing them be able to fully embrace an emotion and, and move on, right? Yes. It, it's beautiful. Um, just a couple of quick ideas that, that came to mind. Maybe just think about whether you're doing more than is needed. So, for example, when you talked about setting up art supplies, are you putting out a bunch of options, you know, that will eventually all need to be put away? Or will they be completely happy with lots of paper and crayons? and some scissors to cut, right? You know, sometimes we have this picture when we plan about things and, and it gets more and more extravagant than it needs to be. So sometimes um, it's worth taking a moment to, to get back to the moment and seeing, um, am I making it bigger because of my needs or am I, you know, can I just get, not get away with, but just do what, what meets them where they are right? You don't have to do more than that. And I love you're thinking about ways to do multiple things together, but if they don't seem to flow together, really feel free to move on from that. Because I remember times when I was insistent, I'd be more and more insistent with myself that this was going to work. It seems so logical. Like they can do this and I can do this and, and it'll be beautiful. <laughs> and my frustration would 
grow, you know, as I tried to make it work and tried to make it work. But no, instead, just try something else. Try something else. And, and including just embracing one thing, being just being in that moment. And that's okay, too. You know, sometimes it's like, okay, stop trying to think and, and plan and just just be too, you know, it, it's fun. And that's one of the, the things, you know, when we're talking about adult, adults engaging um, with their children, that's the part, part that we can bring to it, right? And, and um, use our adult capabilities, right? To try and, and set things up like that whole dance. I enjoyed that dance. I enjoyed trying to figure it out. That is what I could bring, you know, to the additional, um, value that I could bring to the relationship, right? Because I have more experience, you know, I knew more things, I knew more of what things we had and everything. So that was part of the, th of what I brought to the equation. Um, but I also learned that there is so much value even for me in, in slowing down and making sure that I was engaging and being with them in that moment. And because I learned more that way too, you know? So again, back to that dance, it's just that back and forth and, and discovering um, what's working for us at that moment for that day, that flow, following that flow, right? Yes. <laughs> okay. That was the last question. Just yeah, a reminder. Thank you for all the questions. And just, I wanted to acknowledge the videos fun. <laughs> this is our first, I think, Q and A podcast video. We do them for the summit, but this yes. is I know it, it was, it was really fun to uh, pick up. I, I think this one is definitely longer. I know, yeah. I know we did a few more questions, um, but yeah, anyway, just a reminder that there are links in the show notes. We did uh, mention a few things uh, in this episode, so there will be links for that. And thank you so much, Anna. I really appreciate your time. Oh, thank you. I loved it. And I'm looking forward to lots more podcast adventures with you. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes at livingjoyfully.ca forward slash podcast. While you're there, be sure to check out the first book in my Living Joyfully with Unschooling series, Free to Learn, Five Ideas for a Joyful Unschooling Life. In it, I share the five paradigm-changing ideas that most help me better understand unschooling. Reviewers have said, A quick read, but packed with ideas that challenge the dominant paradigm of our failing approach to learning, this little gem makes an excellent argument for unschooling. And, I was rather doubtful about this book, as I had never heard of the author, but after reading it, I wish that I had read it years ago. I hope you find it helpful too. Free to Learn has also been translated into French and Spanish. Until next time, have fun living and learning with your family.